With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast, sponsored by Dizzy Pig Barbecue. Visit DizzyPigBarbecue.com. That's D-I-Z-Z-Y-P-I-G-B-B-Q.com. Use the coupon KIME, K-E-I-M, to receive a 20% discount. And by Lone Oak Coffee. Visit LoneOakCoffee.com and use promo code COFFEE2020 to receive a discount. I just received a new order the other day. Today, I'm joined by Les Carpenter of the Washington Post as we break down the Darius Geis news from Friday. I wanted to wait to address this so we knew more of what happened and why they made this decision, and I wanted to hear what Ron Rivera had to say first. Now we've heard him, now we react. I also talked to my ESPN counterpart in Dallas, Todd Archer, for a look at the Cowboys. Again, another outside opinion on Washington as well. That conversation was taped before the name change or retirement or whatever it is was official. And don't forget, you can read my work on ESPN.com. I obviously have stories up about the Darius Sky situation, as well as the activation of Ruben Foster off the PUP list. You can follow me on Twitter at John underscore Khan. And if you didn't hear the last podcast I did with Washington QB coach Ken Zampezi, give it a listen. There's also a fun interview with Danielle Bennett, a barbecue legend. Some great barbecue tips. She's also a Dizzy Pig fan. Before I get to my interview with Les Carpenter, I wanted to share a couple nuggets. One, I don't know whether or not Darius Geis is guilty. I'm not going to sit here and judge anything when it comes to that situation. That's for the courts to determine. I know he was arrested. I know the police report listed three separate incidents and said there was strangulation involved. I wasn't there. I'll let that play out in the courts. But what I do know is that this organization was on the fence with him anyway. What I do know is that before the 2018 draft, Carolina took him off its board because of concerns about his health with his knees and his character. I heard that from multiple people. And guess where many key people in this organization are from? Carolina. Guys didn't have a long leash here. The Panthers weren't the only team that had questions about him. And of course, way back then, a year or two ago, I did talk to a lot of people from his past, and they were surprised at some of the, the questions about his character. But what I do know, so you can take that for whatever it's worth, what I do know is that some other teams took him off the board because they had concerns. I get into this with less, but too often folks in Washington have been snowed by talent and don't take other factors into consideration, such as fit and approach. Talent does not win. Talent plus approach does. Brian Mitchell was not the most talented player to come out when he was drafted, but his approach and fit made him a tremendous player who took full advantage of his talent. Rivera was huge on the word fit this offseason, and there's a reason. I'll give you another example, Chase Young. Chase Young is supremely talented, 
it's the approach that he has taken that's made him a, a guy who they feel can be a special player. As for Geis, I know some of you have harped on the innocent until proven guilty angle. That's definitely true. I think as a society, you want to wait to see, is he really guilty or not? I'm not going to presume to know again. It's why I'm, I'm not going to go out of there. But what again, what I do know is that Washington was on the fence about him and the current staff didn't want him in Carolina and that he gave them a reason to hop off that fence and make a decision based on whatever they heard Friday. I viewed that as a final straw in their eyes, not strike one. I think there's a difference. Um, and maybe that wouldn't have made any difference, but I do think that they were on the fence about him anyway. There was little incentive for them to wait, knowing he wouldn't be in their plans regardless. They already had viewed him as unreliable before learning of these charges. Regardless, the whole situation is a shame. With Reuben Foster, I'll get more and more into him more with less, but there's one thing to note, and I've been saying this all offseason, and yet every time I say it, about five minutes later, Someone on Twitter is going to ask me, what spot is he going to play? So here we go again. I know you can't hear everything or, or you know, and don't pay attention to everything, so that's okay. Anyway, he's an outside linebacker, period. I know he was used inside at San Francisco in his first year. The Niners then found another option, bumped him to the outside, where he doesn't have to worry about calling signals, etc. They felt like he played better with an uncluttered mind. That's where he's at his best. Washington does consider Cole Holcomb and Thomas Davis to be players who could start at any of the three positions. So the plan right now is just to see how it plays out and see who fits best where. There hasn't been a determination as to precisely which spot each will play. Training camp will determine that. But again, I think what they like is that within Holcomb and Davis, they have guys who they feel could play anywhere. And then it's just a matter of who are the best three guys. If it's Davis and, and Holcomb and Foster, one of those, either Holcomb or Davis, will play inside. John Bostic is an inside guy, and I think that's where Sean Dion Hamilton's best too. And the other guys they sign are more outside, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if um, I would be surprised if Dion, Sean Dion Hamilton entered the conversation to start. And one more thing with with Foster, the 49ers didn't cut him because he was arrested and charged with uh, further counts of domestic violence. They they waived him because they felt like they could no longer trust him. And trust is a big issue with coaches in the NFL. So that's just one small clarification, but I did want to, I do remember that from the time, and it's something I've heard again. Anyway, with Cody Latimer, again, I'll get into this with less, but just because he's on the roster now, do not assume he'll stay there once the season begins. My sense is, well, this is what even Rivera said, is that they're going to wait and see what the league decides and then make their ruling. He's on the commissioner's exemplist. They don't have to do anything now. Hard to imagine that Latimer won't be penalized. And after, the, and after signing Dontrell Inman, I think that it's a, that's a good bet as to what they think will happen with the situation. By the way, for whatever it's worth, Inman will play outside. He could go inside if needed, but he's really an outside guy with some size at six foot three. Gives him a little bit of a veteran presence. Um, and so I think that you know, I, I can just see them going in that direction. Finally, with Bryce Love, they're still crossing their fingers that he can be the same guy he was at Stanford. It's great that he's out there, but the coaches know they won't see all that they need until they get into full team work with pads on, and he must make off-schedule cuts, the sort that he did with great success in college. It's one thing to look good in a controlled environment. He needs to show confidence and quickness in his cutting ability when it's an uncontrolled situation, as it would be in a game. If he can do so, he'd be a big help. Anyway, those are my thoughts. Now, here's my conversation with the Washington Post 
Les Carpenter as we dig deeper on the Darius Geis situation. Now I'm joined by the Washington Post, Les Carpenter. Always enjoy having him on. Always a really good conversation. We're going to talk about Darius Geis. Now I'm going to start, I'm going to start by saying we don't, we're not sitting here proclaiming guilt or innocence. We're talking about this from Washington's decision to release him, and then what the, what it means, what 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 it means going forward, all that kind of stuff. And we did actually talk to Ron Rivera in a Zoom session with other reporters Monday morning, so that's why I waited to do it now. So Les, I'm just curious. We did hear from Ron Rivera a little bit ago. What did you make of his comments regarding the Darius Geis situation? Well, the first thing I took away from was that he treated it like it was very serious, which, you know, obviously it is. And I, I do think this organization anyway is going to be looking at things like domestic violence or sexual harassment, you know, with more seriousness, given uh, the story we did at the Post, uh, you know, a few weeks right. ago and some of the fallout from that. That said, I do think he was the tone and certainly the way he looked when he was talking about it. I think I think Rivera you know, was very, was bothered by these allegations and, and the arrest. Sure. And, uh, you know, I think he, I think he felt it was, was something very serious. Uh, I, I, I certainly didn't get anything from him that didn't say that this was an obvious move for him to make. I, I think it was one that they, they probably had made even before the arrest was final. And why, why do you say that? Because it happened so quickly. Uh, afterward, right. uh, I think, right. you know, just the sense of it, I think, you know, they said that they had talked to, to Darius that morning. Uh, you know, I think they had a pretty good idea of what was coming down. And I think that just the, the speed with which it all happened, it seems like that decision probably was made. If he was going to be arrested, that, that they would they would let him go. Do you think that there were other factors that went into that? Because, again, like, I mean, you as we know, and we've seen it on social media, some people are like, well, innocent until proven guilty. Do you think that of that... To me, they, it suggests that they were also kind of on the fence about him to begin with. Well, um, and, and then and whatever it, they heard know, certainly pushed them. Well, and I think you asked that question of him, and I thought it was very telling that he just said, I don't want to get into that. To right. Talk about Rivera. So the fact that he doesn't, you know, when you ask, are there football reasons? Are there other reasons beyond, uh, you know, the, this arrest? that make you, you know, that, that, that went into the decision to cut him. And he says, well, I just don't want to get into that. For a guy who usually is pretty straight up about how he feels about something, I thought that told a lot. Uh, right. Yeah, I, I have had that feeling for some time that Geist was probably not in the organization's plans. And, you know, that he could maybe dazzle and surprise and they would want to give him a chance. Uh, but once this came along, I, I think that, that they just they didn't want to be involved with him. A lot of people may feel that way. I don't, I don't know that anybody certainly would have predicted the what happened and the charges that brought against him on Friday. But just from a cult, you, you, you speaking more from like a cultural fit for what Rivera is trying to build. I would say cultural and football. Uh, obviously, I think the, the injury history has to come into play. Uh, you know, I thought it was telling that Randy Jordan, uh, the running backs coach, when he was talking to us a few days ago, made you know, a big point to talk about how Geis's greatest contribution could just literally be getting on the field. Uh, right. You know, and I think that they, it spoke to their worries. Uh, I, I also think, though, that, yeah, I, I got a sense that even with the previous regime, they weren't comfortable with the way that, that Geis was around, around the team. Uh, Correct. you know, I did his recovery, the way that he worked, 
uh, and perhaps attitude as well. Uh, you know, I've heard words maturity. I think you've used them too. Uh, that you've heard yes, you know, that 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 came up a lot. Uh, and I think that there was a, a concern as to how dedicated he was. Um, you know, I also would look at it. It had to be very frustrating for him uh, with the injuries as well all the time uh, to feel like he could be dedicated when every time he'd, he'd get into a, a situation where he was getting just a little bit of momentum, he'd always get hurt. So I, I'm sure that played into it as well. But I don't think this re- this regime when they came in uh, necessarily was planning on Darius guys to be starting this year or be, be on the roster when the season started. I always kind of thought that if there was a surprise cut on the team, it would be him. Well, and I, I thought that throughout the offseason, I thought I was kind of, I wouldn't say waiting for something, but if, if someone said, Who, which would be the one player, I would have said he would have been the guy for that reason. And also I'd heard and heard again that Carolina had taken him off their board before that draft. So when you add all that stuff up, then you co- you combine it with what happened and what he's arrested for on Friday then it leads you to, well, this is why they made that that kind of decision compared to Reuben Foster keeping him around, activating him off the PUP list. And I thought Ron was kind of interesting there because he basically talked about how he's been doing everything right since he's been here, you know, following treatment protocols, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I just, I would, you know, that was um, the fact that that happened, that he was activated off that two days later, still around, it kind of speaks to, I guess, the uniqueness of each situation, I guess, do you think? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, I think if we go back to the previous regime, I'm sure you heard the very same things I did, that they were very impressed with the way that, that Ruben Foster worked behind the scenes. Right. Uh, you know, there was obviously a bond there with him and his teammates from Alabama, of which there were several. Uh, you know, we would speak privately to those guys. They all spoke very highly of him. They also, you know, would go to great lengths to say that they really did not I don't want to get into the charges too much against him. Right, right. Rob, yeah, yeah. But I do feel like they did not feel that that represented who he was and they were surprised about it. And I think, you know, I I, I don't know because each situation is different, but the charges were ultimately Correct. dropped. And I feel like when you would talk to players, when you would talk to coaches, the same thing kept coming up that that Ruben Foster was someone that they really, really, really respected and liked. Uh, right. And I've gotten every sense from this regime now that they felt the same way. If it was at all possible for him to physically be able to play, and remember he was recovering from a nerve issue too, with, with everything right. else that happened in that knee. Uh, you know, I, I think that they were they were wanting to give him a chance the way that maybe they were a little more skeptical about giving Darius Geis a chance uh, at the same level. And that's why I brought up, I think the fact that he's talked about doing everything right, et cetera, et cetera, from a football perspective too, I think, you know, that wasn't necessarily a wink, wink toward Darius necessarily, but I do think it was perhaps indicative of each situation. Yeah. And look, I mean, the previous regime, and I guess this will probably fall on Bruce Allen mostly, uh, definitely thought they were getting a bargain each time when they, when they got these guys, when they took guys to the Correct. second round, I think they thought they were getting a massive first round talent at the bargain of a second round price. And likewise, you're getting Reuben Foster, you know, who, when healthy, had certainly played his rookie year like a player who could be a real star in this league, uh, potentially a pro right. type player at the bargain price of a rookie deal. Uh, you know, I think they thought each one was was just too good to pass up. Uh, but, you know, there, there obviously are problems with that. And, you know, and, and you see kind of as time has gone on how each player was valued within the, within the team. 
Uh, and I, I definitely feel like I'm not surprised. I should say that, that, that Foster was, was, you know, given this chance and promoted uh, off the PUP list. And that, and that guys was, was let go as quickly as he was let go. And the, you know, the sad thing with Darius is that you go back to the summer of his rookie year and I would have sworn he would have become a star because he just had the charisma and before the injury, he looked really good. And um, it just, you know, um, was good with us. And then, then, then we're here two years later and it just, it just seems like this talent, this, this organization, it's, it's always about talent and not production. Do you know what I mean? And it just, it's just like another example of talented guy that you're going to say, man, what happened? Yeah. And that's, you know, again, we get back to how, you know, Ron Rivera and, and the people that he's brought in are, are going to want to look at players. Uh, I know there were a lot of free agent signings that probably left people scratching their heads. Uh, and maybe even some draft picks that left people scratching their heads. Right. But I feel like in, in most of those cases, they were calculated gambles because they believed in the person. And they, uh, even if necessarily the talent may not match what everyone would say that this person should, you know, that's the kind of talent you would need here. Uh, you know, I do feel like they want to build something a little deeper and a little stronger and not try and cut corners. Uh, I, I do feel that even even the Foster pickup when it happened and and certainly Geis' drafting felt a little bit like trying to cut a corner, like jumping to process a little bit. I don't think they want to do that here right now. And so I think that will guide or has so far seemed to guide their personnel decisions. Because fit, they always talk about fit. And it's not just from a talent standpoint. It's from a um, work standpoint, approach standpoint, I guess the, the overall arching phrase or the word is culture standpoint. Um, and I guess that brings me to Cody Latimer too, because he's still on the roster. And I don't know that that's going to be the case in a month from now, but he still is now because he's on the exemplus. And that's a distinction that Rivera made to us as well. Yeah, just, I, I, I mean, look, Geis's charges had one felony and several serious misdemeanors. Uh, Latimer's facing some very serious felony charges. Right. Uh, you know, I, again, Rivera did not get into it much today, uh, but I do feel like he he sort of indicated that there are perhaps some extenuating circumstances in Latimer's case, uh, and and they've kind of been reported a little bit. Uh, right. It's still kind of murky as to what those are and who's involved, but I, I think they feel a little more comfortable with at least where Latimer, you know, what what may have generated this thing and you know about what the way the case may ultimately go um but yeah i agree i i think that that's that's one that's probably still very much in question and i don't know if talent wise he was somebody that they needed here anyway uh right i I don't know that he would have raised the level it was one of those guys that they were that they thought could come in here on a one-year deal and they could take a chance and see if they could fit into the culture absolutely and you know what about the rest of the running back situation how do you view it at this point and yeah, I kind of look at it like they even with Darius guys here, they had questions. Even without him, I think they have options. So, what do you, how do you assess? Yeah, and exactly. And I, you know, the guy that that the moment where I thought, gosh, I really think that they may not be interested in keeping Darius guys around here was the day they signed Peyton Barber. Correct, uh, because he's a you know a productive back uh, and right. has, has had some very good seasons or some very solid seasons, and easily is someone that you could plug in right now and and play and probably play with you know, certainly at average, if not slightly better than average production at that position. 
so he's not Darius Geis, and you know when we think about the potential that Geis had, but he's certainly a very productive NFL player, and you know. I, I think they're very comfortable with the group that they have right now. I think they have a lot of options. Uh, you don't keep Adrian Peterson if you aren't going to play Adrian Peterson. <laughs> we've seen, we've right. seen a death glare from him. Uh, and I know that they probably would like to keep him for culture purposes as well. I think he's the leader that they kind of want to sort of have for some of the other young backs uh, in terms of how you do things and how you kind of carry yourself around the, around the team in the locker room and in meetings. Uh, you know, I, I think that if there's the guy that they're kind of taking the flyer on kind of hoping with, it's Bryce Love, you know, who, right. yeah, again, I think will very much fit the culture. I, I, I spent some time with him last year and his family doing a story on him and I, you know, he's, he's delightful. His family's wonderful. I, I really think that this is a guy that they would like to build around, uh, or, or try to, I mean, and the potential certainly there. And then you got guys like Antonio Gibson as well, who can do a whole lot of different things. Uh, J.D. McKissick, I think, will be a factor this year. I, you you kind of look through sort of the running back room and you thought, well, yes, if you're just looking at pure potential, Darius Geist may be better than all of them. Right. But that's a huge question mark. And already I think they're concerned that he doesn't fit what they want to do here. Uh, right. You can get a lot of production from all of the guys you have. And it may just be operating a little smoother now. And I think I think you're right about Barber. When they signed him, it's like <clears throat> that was an odd sign. So you knew that it signaled something there, and it was about the reliability. And as much about I think the health of guys as as much as anything. Um, but he does give you an ability. They I look at this group and think that you can piece together a productive situation because you do have guys who offer different skills. McKissick, I like him as a third down back. Gibson, if you can incorporate him in, I don't know how many, it's going to be remains, remains to be seen how many plays you can incorporate him early, but he does offer you skills that others don't. And then, you know, and if those, if, as he's easing into it, you can use Barber in a certain role too. And again, AP, and then if love is healthy. So they do have, I think, the ability to piece it together. And I would have, you know, and I, but, and I never sat here feeling like Darius Geis was going to be a 20 to 25 carry, um, you know, uh, a bell cow for them. So I don't know that they necessarily lost something other than potential, which is what this franchise always seems to lose. Um, how do you assess? I want to take last thing I want to talk to you about is the quarterback situation. Um, Alex Smith, do you think we're going, do you, you think we're going to see him out there in, in, in a full team drill and, and be on the roster of the season start? Gosh, it's hard to imagine given the injury, uh, you know, obviously given what we've seen in the documentary of, of the leg, uh, but also, you know, what you and I would see when we when he would be around the facility last year, uh, even at the very end of last year. And I mean, the recovery alone was remarkable. And the fact that he'd be out there throwing passes was remarkable, but you'd still watch right. him walk with the limp. And you'd think, you know, you'd see the leg, you know, sort of thin, you know, because some of the muscle was gone. And you kind of wonder, gosh, I, how can he do this? Um, all that said, certainly the tone that you know Ron Rivera has set, at least in the in the public zooms, has sort of indicated that he, you know, he's he's kind of positive about it. Uh, yeah, yeah, this this is this is definitely a possibility. We could see him at the end of August in some practices, and if we're going to see him at the end of August, then yeah, he's in the quarterback mix. Uh, now this is where the question comes for me, and this is uh, something I wrote about the other day. I you know. Okay, now you got him out there on the field. If that really truly can happen, if you get to that level, 
Well, now what happens? I mean, because you right. can't just put – you just can't throw an Alex Smith into a quarterback competition and not think that Alex Smith is probably going to win it. Uh, just on, on sheer ability to handle situations. To If he's the same guy. Well, if he's the same guy at all moving around, yes. that's that. But right. if you're putting him on the field, then you think he's the same guy. Correct. Uh, okay. If you don't think he can elude, if you don't think he's elusive, if you don't you think he is, then you're not going to. You can't. Right. You're right. He'd be a sitting duck. So if you feel like he's elusive enough and he can move enough and he can avoid that that rush and he can he can take that hit on the knee or wherever it is that would be coming, if you feel that way, then how is he not the guy who wins that competition? Because he could just walk on the field and, I mean, I, what I always look back to at 2018, he he did you know the Gruden system was hard for a new quarterback to adapt. Uh, right. You know, Alex is obviously a very bright guy who can handle situations, can can certainly assess everything. But I thought he was really struggling still to pick up the system, pick up the language, pick up. Yeah. He was not comfortable out there. No, uh, he was not. There, anything, there, there was, was not well, a... the most comfortable I ever thought he I ever felt that he was was in the game where he got hurt. I mean, because he had two picks, yeah. but it felt for the first time he was letting it fly a little bit. Right. Uh, you know, but nonetheless the fact that he could withstand that situation and play at a high level and help the team win games will actually lead a team to wins uh, says to me that he's a guy that you would probably have to give that job to. I would think most of the players would expect it. You could lose a locker room if you're not putting the best quarterback out there. That said, who is your longtime quarterback here? Who is the guy you're really truly trying to build around? And I think they're happy with Dwayne Haskins and certainly the way that he's handled things this offseason, the maturity that he's, he's starting to show a little bit, the leadership he's starting to show, some of the things he's done in the, you know, in, in the offseason and his personal life that it seems have allowed him to become that guy that they can rely on a little more. And if that's the case, then playing Alex Smith probably doesn't help that. And, and I think that's a question going forward is if you, if you allow Alex Smith into the competition, then you, you know, that's kind of expecting he would win it. And then what does that do for building for the future, which I do think is the ultimate goal here. Right. And I think that's why I still think this is Dwayne Haskins, job to lose. If he's not showing you something, then he's going to open the door for another alternative. And I think having Alex there provides that um, enough of a competition to keep him, on the path that he's been on this off season. But I, you know, I would, my belief is that it's his job to lose, but you know, I, cause I think if he shows whatever, then you've got to keep him out there because you're good. You, if this is a young team, you want it to grow together. And he's part of that. If he's showing you what you need him to show. Exactly. So, and I think they're waiting to see that. And that's obviously what Kyle Allen's here too, is uh, as a safety net right. and, and someone that obviously you could put out there right away, who knows the offense perfectly and all of those things. The worry then comes, though, if Alex Smith enters the competition. And again, I do think it's a, you know, we, we got several steps before we get there. But the fact right, that I think the door so. has been opened leads you to think, well, there is a possibility that that come, you know, maybe somewhere around, the, you know, two weeks from now, three weeks from now, Alex Smith is trotting on the field. And then, I, you know, I do think there are some questions as to, well, who starts the season? Because Alex Smith could definitely take over a huddle, take over a, a meeting, take over everything. Just by virtue of who he is, not by intending to Bigfoot anyone or or certainly, certainly, you know, it forces ego into there or anything. Just by virtue of the person and the leadership that he had shown in the past and, and what he has done to get back there, that I think it then becomes, a, you know, an uncomfortable conversation to have. 
because now who is your quarterback? What are you trying to do? Uh, and then your leading players to think, well, wait a sec, I'm putting my neck out there for, you know, the quarterback who may not be the best one in this competition, say that, say Dwayne wins it. And he's not at this point, what they hope that Dwayne will be by the end of the season or next year. And I think that's another factor here is not only who's the best right at that minute, but who's going to be best midway through the season by the end of the season, who's the best guy for you. And, and I think, you know, are you going to progress with this guy? I think that'll be probably another factor in this competition as well. And, and I think players can see if a guy is progressing, I think they'll get it. But um, I think that'll be something interesting to watch if it comes to fruition that Alex Smith is actually out there and doing what they hope to do. Hey, Les, um, that's, I, I'm going to let you go. I appreciate you joining me. You can follow Les on Twitter at Les Carpenter. Just that. That's ba very basic. At Les Carpenter. Read him in the Washington Post. Very good writer. Always a good conversation. Appreciate you joining me. I always enjoy it, John. Thanks. After this break, we'll take a look at the Dallas Cowboys through the eyes of ESPN's Todd Archer, who, of course, covers the Cowboys. We also get into some of his thoughts on Washington. When I grill or cook in the kitchen, I usually like to grind my spices fresh. The ones I make at home just taste better. But I've changed my strategy up a bit to use Dizzy Pig Craft Seasonings. Based in Manassas, Virginia, they grind their spice combinations daily, and it's easy to see why they've built a loyal following over the past 20 years. Dizzy Pig owner Chris Capel has won 15 championships on the Pro Barbecue Tour using only their products. And I've heard from other pitmasters on the barbecue tour that insist on Dizzy Pig. If it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. Among the ones I've really enjoyed, the Raging River and Wonderbird. Both are excellent on chicken. The Cow Lick is amazing on beef, and their popular Dizzy Dust is truly all-purpose. But with 27 different blends, there's a seasoning for just about any recipe or cooking technique. Get 20% off your online order shipped in the U.S. if you use the coupon KIM, that's K-E-I-M, at DizzyPigBBQ.com. That's D-I-Z-Z-Y Pig BBQ.com. Now I'm joined by my counterpart in Dallas, Todd Archer, and I want to go over the Cowboys offseason. And Todd, thanks for joining me. First, busy offseason for the Cowboys. So what, what, what's your take on how their offseason has been? It seems like initially there's a lot of panic, and then there was a, oh, maybe it's not as bad as we thought. Yeah, it, it, and that's kind of how every offseason has gone here for the Cowboys in the last few years because they don't make major plays in free agency anymore. Uh, right. You can call Gerald McCoy a major play, I guess, but they're not going out and setting the market on guys uh, unless it's their own guys. Um, you know, you keep Amari Cooper, you add – uh, Gerald McCoy, you add Don Terry Poe, and then in the draft, you luck into CD Lamb, you know, and, and there's some other things that they've done too, but those are probably the primary ones that you say, wow, like th that's a pretty good offseason. And then, but we still have to factor in what's going to happen with the quarterback. And and we right. know Dak Prescott's elite going to be here through 2020 on the franchise tag. We'll know by next Wednesday if he gets a long term deal or not. And then that opens a whole nother slew of questions depending on how that goes but again you secure Dak you secured Amari Cooper you got CD Lamb you add some pieces on on defense you added a new coach a new head coach new coaching staff that you think will make a, a team that you believe is talented better so yeah it, it's been a productive offseason 
even if we've not seen any of these guys on the field. Right. And, you know, by the time this comes out, too, we may know more about what Dak's situation is. But what does he mean? What does he mean to the franchise? Well, he mean I don't want to say he means everything because it's not although he kind of does, because you look at what the Cowboys didn't have from Aikman to Romo. Well, they, they've they've lucked out in their last two quarterbacks. Romo right. drafted Dak in the fourth round. So. You know, without Dak, this team, you have Andy Dalton, so you think, you know, you'll be okay. But, again, he's not Dak. You know, Dak has won right. a bunch of games. He's gotten better every year. Uh, he's the, the leader of this team, and guys follow what he says. He he's a he means an awful lot to this club and the, their success as every team's success. I don't care – who they are is dependent on how well your quarterback plays. And, you know, what? as far as the losses go, Byron Jones, Robert Quinn, what do you think is the biggest loss and where will they feel it the most? I'm going to put Byron Jones as the biggest loss. And I'm contradicting a th- my theory of a pass rush makes a secondary. So it should be Robert Quinn because they've not replaced him. You know, uh, Alden Smith might turn into a great story. Me and him have as many sacks since 2015. Uh, <laughs> not played Gregory may be back, but we've not heard anything yet. So, right. I, you know, my doubts are starting to crop in there that he won't be playing football uh, this year for the Cowboys. So, to me, it's Byron Jones because, yeah, you know what? I came around on this. Yeah, he didn't get the ball away. Only had two picks. Hasn't had a pick since 2017. But there are a 1,000 plays for a defense in a season, and he gives up very little. Right. You want him to get the ball away, but he doesn't give up a lot of yards per game, a lot of catches per game, and certainly not a lot of touchdowns. That's going to be a big loss because you're kind of hoping that guys you have on your roster, they re-signed Anthony Brown, they have Jordan Lewis, they they uh, have Cheeto Wuzier, they drafted Trayvon Diggs in the second round, right. kind of hoping that those guys can be what Byron Jones was. You knew what Byron Jones was. You don't know yet what these guys can do. Offensively, you lose, they lose Randall Cobb. Now you, but you get CD Lamb. So is the CD go inside there, or how is that going to play out? And how good is that receiving core right now? Do you think, or could be? Yeah, and the issue, you know, without being able to see these guys in an OTA right. minicamp, they have a true idea of what they're going to be, what they're thinking. Um, I, I have a feeling you'll see him inside a bunch. He, he did that at OU, but I think right. you'll see uh, Amari Cooper move around a lot as well, right. and him. Him and Cooper are kind of being interchangeable in how they do things. Maybe not so much with Gallup. Uh, I think he's strictly a, an outside guy, you know, can play in, in there a little bit, but mostly just an outside guy. But, you know, I, I've been racking my brain on, okay, who has three better receivers? And look, you know, C.D. Lamb hasn't caught a pass yet, but I think we all believe he's going to be a, a very good player. You, At the very least, the Cowboys trio of receivers would have to be in the top three, top five. Right, I would think so. Right, so I mean, you got yeah. Mari Cooper didn't end the season well, but still had a career high in receiving yards. Michael Gallup blossomed in his second year, over a thousand yards, uh, and then you you've added what a guy that a lot of people thought was the best receiver coming into right. the draft. Uh, that has to mean something. So, it, and that adds to C.D. Lamb might might be. Zeke's best friend, if we're being honest, because yeah. how how are you going to defend these things? It's a pick your poison deal that might might make life for Zeke a lot easier. 
Absolutely. Um, the loss of Travis Frederick. What's the what's the trickle down impact there? Yeah, I guess I should have said Travis Frederick maybe instead of Byron Jones. But I was just going defensive side of the ball. Well, I also yeah, think corners are more in, is an impactful position too. Yeah. So that... it, it's a big loss. Um, he did not play as well as he had before he got sick in 2018, but he was still among the better centers in the league. And you would, you think he still would have played at that level uh, going forward. But, you know, and this is what happens when guys leave unexpectedly or sign somewhere else. Like, ah, you know, really, we'll, we'll be okay with this guy. And But th they feel confident that Joe Looney could be the replacement. He replaced um, Frederick in 2018 and actually played well. The difference, and a lot of people will point to the sack totals. Dak had sacked 50-some-odd times in 2018 and a cut in half last year. And we'll put that on, on Looney. Well, no, it's really on a change in offensive line coach philosophy that year that led to a lot of changes. Uh, Dak wasn't as good as getting rid of the ball as he, as he had been before, but they got Joe Looney. Uh, they got uh, Connor McGovern, third round pick who didn't play last year that they thought right. could a guy that develops Connor Williams, their left guard coming back from a knee injury. He could be a guy that moves in there. And then they drafted Tyler Biotish from Wisconsin in the four. They, they traded into the fourth round to, to get him. He would have an opportunity, although I think that would be of the guys I listed, I think that might be the fourth option at this point. I, I think it'll be Looney or McGovern, and then the loser of that battle might actually be the left guard. And then overall, because I'm dealing with the same thing here when people ask me about Ron Rivera and his early impact. And until we see him on the field and they're around these guys, it's really hard to say. But I'm going to ask you about Mike McCarthy and what, what are some of the things that you may have heard about, you know, after they made the change from Jason Garrett, that it has been in impactful thus far or because Jason Garrett was here long there, the, there's a benefit to the new coach whoever he would have been to not being the old coach right, right? so whatever he would do whether it's a, a a minor thing that will be like wow we never thought of that what a great idea and really it's like it's not that great of an idea it's just something new that you think right. is better right. uh, so that he'll have that benefit but again you look at his resume, and we had this discussion about Ron Rivera when he signed with the when, when he joined the Redskins. Jason Garrett has a better record than him, right? Now Ron Rivera took a team to a to a Super Bowl, right? So hard to you know you, you don't discount that, but if you look year to year, Jason Garrett never had a losing record. Ron Rivera had how many? Five, I think it was. I think right. it was five, five or six. So. So he was viewed as a savior when he was coming in and, and, you know, and I think there's an element of that for McCarthy when you look at his resume, right? He's won a right. Super Bowl, a playoff nine times, conference title uh, game four times. Jerry and Stephen Jones believe they have a roster that's ready to compete and they believe they have a coach that can bump that level of play up throughout the offense, the defense, special teams to make this team reach the potential they believe it has. Do you do you think there's any gap closed at all between Washington, New York, and then Dallas and Philly? And and who do you look at it is do you look at Dallas or Philly as a team in this in this division? Yeah, I still think it's the Cowboys and the Eagles and right. then the other two. But I, I do think the gap has closed because, you know, just because the nature of the league uh right. for Team, it's dependent on the quarterback. How what right. what step is he going to make in his first full year as the starter? 
with new coaches and all, uh, and right. all that. So if he makes that jump, well, then that's going to be a – that gap closes pretty quickly. Right. Uh, for the – you know, if Daniel Jones excels under Jason Garrett, and, and people here in Dallas don't want to give Jason Garrett any kind of credit. Well, <laughs> Tony Romo in his first year at Garrett had 30-some-odd touchdown passes. Like, people forget Jason Garrett was a pretty good offensive coordinator. Right. And the Giants have talent on offense. They have holes on defense that, you know, that, that will need to be overcome. But I still think it's the Eagles and the Cowboys as one and two. But I don't know if the gap between those two teams, between three and four, is maybe as as deep as it would appear to be. Right. And then, um, you know, I'm, I'm anxious to see Tyrone Smith against Chase Young. That's one of the things I'm looking forward to seeing this season. So I think that will be a fun battle to watch, at least – you know, because from my perspective, I think that would be fun to watch. And also the Redskins defensive line could be pretty good this year yeah, against yeah. that group will be a fun thing to watch. Um, is Last thing is on the, the Redskins name, because as of this as of this taping, it's still the Redskins. We know it's going to likely change. And maybe by this time it comes out, it will have changed. What do you think the reaction will be in Dallas to that? Because such a strong rivalry, Cowboys, Indians, that kind of thing. What do you think the reaction or what has been the reaction? I think it, the overwhelming reaction is it's about time that that thing's changed. The 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 rivalry that these organizations have had uh, isn't about the, the the nicknames. It's been about right. the players, is uh, and I guess it's been about a song too. Uh, if if we really dig dig deep into right. that, right. that back in the day, but I don't think it's been about the nickname uh, necessarily. And I think like a lot of people. The reaction around here was like, okay, good. It's time that that thing, that, that nickname is gone and replaced and, and, and removed. And, but I don't think the fervor of the rivalry's history changes whatever Washington's name becomes. I think it will still always be in place uh, from the past and still have a place in the future because of the history of the, between the two teams, regardless of right. right. And I think it would be fun, like, as far as a rivalry say goes, it usually comes down to, as you know, how good are these teams? And if one team is three and 13 and the other one's 10 and six, it's a little bit different because they're just not. So that's why I think it'd be fun if these guys actually got back to a certain point. And then again, you do have Smith versus young for however many years. And you have, you know, in this division, you have some young quarterbacks possibly. And Dak is still a young guy going up against, you know, Dwayne Haskins. It could be, you know, it could be if some of these young guys here develop, it could be fun again. Yeah. I mean, look, when's the last time it was good um, it, for I, I've never experienced it where both teams were right. really good. I I'm trying and I'm sure I'm missing something, but it, to me, it was really good when it was Parcells and Joe Gibbs. Right. Um, that, that was really good again to see those two coaches going against each other, but were the teams that no. good at that point? Uh you know, you look at the, the, the Garrett era, you know, when the Redskins, you know, obviously had the RG3 game in 2012 when they, they right. had their run. That was their last kind of time yeah. the Redskins uh, were, 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 Yeah, because, like, that was the last game of the year where they had to win. They won the division and all that. But it hasn't been, like, I don't think – I have – I've experienced a lot of games this rivalry, but I haven't experienced – what it was in the heyday and which would be if they could ever get back to being good again, then that would be, but like you said, it was always about the personalities about, 
you know, going after Roger Staubach or, or Randy White or whatever. So it wasn't, you know, it was about more than that. So anyway, Todd, hey, listen, I appreciate you joining me and get back to taking some time off. <laughs> Will do. We'll see if we have a training camp over here. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. A couple months ago, I stopped into a store for a sandwich, but it was the smell of the coffee that knocked me over. That's when I fell in love with Lone Oak Coffee. I bought some of their Mexican blend and was happy for the rest of the week. Lone Oak is a small specialty-based coffee roaster company in Winchester, Virginia. They finished ninth in the nation in the U.S. Coffee Roasting Championships in 2017. They have received many awards for their house blend at the world's largest coffee roasting competition. Here's what I love about Lone Oak. They dial in each coffee to fit its best profile, bringing out the natural nuances and highlighting interesting flavors. I'm drinking their Brazilian blend now with a mix of nutty and almond flavors. They have coffees from all over the world. I love their smooth Colombian with hints of cocoa and caramel apple. Go to LoneOakCoffee.com, L-O-N-E-O-A-K, coffee.com. And when you order, use the code COFFEE2020. That's COFFEE2020. You will receive a 5% discount with free shipping on any orders over $25. Start your day off right with Lone Oak Coffee. That's it for this week. Don't forget to support our sponsors. I wouldn't endorse them if I didn't use them and enjoy them. So visit LoneOakCoffee.com, promo code COFFEE2020, and visit DizzyPigBarbecue.com and use the coupon KIND, that's K-E-I-M, for a 20% discount. As always, thank you for listening. Talk to you next time.